There's no secret formula for better service throughout the customer journey. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot. It makes it infinitely easier to scale customer support and increase retention. By bringing service and support together in one powerful platform, you can deliver the best experiences for your customers and your teams. Free up time for your reps to focus on complex issues with an AI-powered help desk. Proactively drive retention with customer health scores that help keep your business ahead, stopping churn in its tracks. And give your entire go-to-market team the data they need to operate as one unified, powerful front. Also, you can easily support, strengthen, and grow your customer base. Secrets out. HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Good morning, everyone. It's Thursday, January 25th. I'm John Weigel here with Juliet Bennett-Ryla, and this is The Hustle Daily Show. The restaurant industry is finally starting to bounce back after the pandemic left many off their proper footing. Now, over 53,000 restaurants have opened in the past year, and they're occupying specific categories like dessert places and pop-ups. You know, this all sounds great, but is the profitability of the overall business even close to what it was in 2019? We'll get to that and so much more, but first, let's give you the hits and headlines today across business and tech. First up, Chipotle said it's hiring 19,000 new employees to its 110,000-person workforce ahead of its busy spring season this year. That's a 27% increase from last year's recruitment goals. It seems like the company's really ramping up in their employees. Next up, Etsy introduced Gift Mode recently, which is an AI feature that generates gift ideas for about 200 different recipient personas. Users can take an online quiz and receive gift guides to help make sense of the about 100 million items listed on the platform. I've fallen into that trap many a times, going on to Etsy to find my mom a Christmas gift and coming out with plates every time. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) In the music space, musician and entrepreneur Dolly Parton is collaborating with yet another brand called Conagra Brands. This partnership will include frozen and refrigerated comfort food that you can, of course, eat while listening to your favorite Dolly Parton songs. So, uh, Juliet, I know you're a big Dolly Parton person. What's your take on this? Yeah, you know, what's funny is I'm not even so much a big Dolly Parton music person. I just love Dolly Parton uh, because everyone does. Who doesn't? Um, And what's interesting here, I think, is that we just did a story about how Dolly Parton has basically built an empire. And it's her theme parks. It's all of these brand collaborations that she makes. She has numerous ones. She has a lot of food stuff. She's got clothes for pets. She's got her clothes for adults, uh, clothes for everyone, human or animal. She's got it. I was actually just reading today in Business Insider that, and this is probably my favorite Dolly Parton contribution, is that she was actually really involved in the production of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Really? (laughs) What? What did she do? So it was co-produced by Sand Dollar Television, and that was the television arm of Sand Dollar Productions, which she co-founded with her former manager, Sandy Allen, in, I guess it must have been the late 90s. And she didn't have anything to do with the story, but she did apparently send gifts to the cast members. And there's this quote where Sarah Michelle Gellar is like, she doesn't even know how I am. She's just sending these gifts. But then it turns out Dolly actually did watch the show, which made Sarah really happy. So (laughs) I just think this is hilarious and I love it. That's so amazing. I'm all for Dolly Parton going into more industries and her foray, it seems, into like the frozen food area. Like, yeah, just keep it coming. Honestly, just yeah. keep going. Yeah. You, we'll take more you Dolly put Parton. your name on it. We'll buy it. Thanks, Dolly. Yeah, we will buy it. 
And finally, Microsoft hit a valuation of $3 trillion on Wednesday. And that's a first for the tech giant, largely due to its partnership with OpenAI. Seems like for tech, the AI investments are not slowing down anytime soon. All right, on to our main story. On the menu today is a deep dive on the restaurant business. Obviously, the industry hasn't been doing too hot since COVID caused tons of restaurants to close, but it seems like it's back and booming now in 2024. Juliet, what's the what's the story on this? So, yeah, like you said, the pandemic was pretty terrible. There were about an estimated 72,000 closings due to COVID. And now we are seeing that about 53.8 thousand restaurants opened in the last year. And that's a uh, 16.1 new restaurants for every 100,000 people. Cool. <laughs> it's such like Let's a, break it a down. random stat. Restaurants per capita. <laughs> love it. But yeah, apparently we're seeing a lot of growth in specific types of restaurants. Dessert is up 66%. Pop-ups also up 66%. Creperies, 63%. People loving crepes, apparently. Hot pot, 53%. Also, certain cuisines, African and Peruvian restaurants are up 65% and 28% respectively. So a lot of interesting moves in the food space here. Yeah, definitely. Do, do you think any of that has to do with all of these market halls that are opening up across the United States like crazy? Like I know here in New York and like over there in L.A., there's just tons of these like huge market halls with all these like pop ups and new restaurants. But they're like really tiny stalls that all do kind of one thing or one menu of items. Do you think that at all contributes to this kind of boom? Because I, I really don't remember there being a lot of that in the early 2000s. And now they're just everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think the pop up thing is, is definitely new. I see a lot of that in my neighborhood where I was just looking at a pop up that's coming to a wine bar next week that's all Ethiopian food. I think it's I think a lot of it too is people started creating stuff in their ghost kitchens and we had all these virtual restaurant concepts. Like I know there were a ton of pop-up restaurants during the pandemic where it was like you could just go get a pizza but you had to like reserve it online and then go to someone's house and get it. Like yeah. Or you could only get it outside <laughs> yep. and kitchens were closed so they were just experimenting. So I think there's a lot of people who kind of got into making one thing. And mm-hmm. that's where you see these little like we make crepes. I think we're also seeing a renewed interest in other types of cuisines across cultures. I'm kind of wondering if the whole hot pot thing is just like a a renewed interest in Asian food. Like all of a sudden, Good Game came on and everybody wanted to eat Korean food all of a sudden, which is great. By the way, I lived in Koreatown for seven years. Amazing cuisine. So I don't know. I I think it's, it's, it's an experimental time. I'm also wondering if people are just going out for different types of things. Is it? Because I went to the sports bar across the street from me the other day, only to learn that her burger was now $21. And I'm like, man, I don't, I'm not paying $21 for a burger. Yeah, no thanks. You know, I would, I would go like get ice cream with someone that would be cheaper. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the the burger inflation is a very real thing. And I think that's something that we we should cover in depth here sometime because it is honestly ridiculous. Anytime I go to a restaurant, that's like the burger is probably going to be fine. Like it's not going to be anything incredible. And it's always priced around like $20. So I don't know where these restaurants get off charging that much for a burger. But I I do love your point uh, that kind of other people are looking for more more diverse food options. And that's Uh why we've been seeing more experimentation across the board. I really love the stat that Hot Pot is up 53%. I think that's yeah. fantastic. And also, like, there are a lot of other cheaper options out there, like Chinatown in New York, for example. You go around, you can find very, very affordable food, and it's very, very delicious. Uh-huh. It's just not exactly maybe what the American palate is used to. So I right. really like that idea of venturing out to new cuisines as a way of kind of boosting the economy. But of course, a- as you mentioned, restaurants are, are changing a little bit. These pop-ups are coming up. 
creperies are becoming more popular and such, but there's also a change across menus, right? Yeah. So as Sarah noted in her story, there are some things that just are not going out of style. Your Caesar salads, your fried chickens, your American staple. But there are some new menu items that we're seeing a lot more of, including caviar, things with yuzu, and panna cotta. Panna cotta. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I, did, have you ever seen this movie called The Platform? No. Oh, I, t- I totally haven't. I have not seen it. Oh, it's a Spanish movie, and it is about these people that are in a, maybe it's a French. No, I think it's a Spanish movie. Anyhow, it's about these people that are in a prison, and how much you get to eat depends on the floor that you're on. So there's this mm-hmm. platform that gets lowered down, and you, I think every floor has like 60 seconds to eat as much food as possible. Oh my God. And there would be enough food for everyone if they just took what was fair, but of course they don't. Of course, the people on right. the top floor are like, Uh, I got to shovel all the food in my mouth because I don't know what floor I'm going to end up on next and I might be at the bottom or whatever. Uh. (laughs) It's all about the panna cotta that comes down on this platform. Like they're constantly referencing the panna cotta as like the thing to get on the platform. So now every time I hear panna cotta, I think about this movie where these people are trapped in a prison gorging themselves on panna cotta if they're on the top floor. Sounds like a great idea for a theme restaurant right there. And you know what? That is something that I think is why we're seeing so many pop-ups because people uh-huh. love the theme. They love an immersive experience. They're going oh, yeah. out less. We're seeing rising costs in labor, ingredients that's making food costs go up. People are not going out to eat at a fine dining restaurant in this economy, but I think they're maybe more inclined to be like, I'm going to go to get a crepe. I'm going to go get a panna cotta. I'm going to go to the pop-up. There are so many uh-huh. pop-ups here that just really take off because they they offer an experience. There's this, <laughs> there's this thing called chain that like pretends to be Del Taco or something. I don't I'm not quite sure what they do, but every time I see pictures, it's like all the celebrities are there. So, oh, wow. I think there's a lot of like, we want to go back out, but we have no money. But this pop up is an experience. That's, that's what yeah, I think is happening. Definitely. I think people are trying to hunt for the experiences more and hunt for the sweet treats more than they are, as you said, uh-huh. the full like fancy steak dinner uh, right now. Right. I mean, you know, money's tight in a lot of places. Inflation is high. So, yeah, if you're going to go out, maybe go out for like a little dessert or a little snack or something. Uh-huh. And, that's definitely, it seems like that's being reflected in Sarah's story when she talks about that 75% of establishments are reported being less profitable now than pre-pandemic. Although when I go out to restaurants, they're, they're pretty chock full. So I mean, that, that I guess tells you something about how much people are willing to spend post-pandemic on food. Yeah. I wonder if people are just like choosing choosing wisely, like instead of going out three nights a week, they're like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to go out one night a week and it's going to be mm-hmm. special. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And with like the rising cost of labor and as you mentioned, ingredients. Yeah, it's yeah. Dining out, I'm surprised, is kind of coming back. And it it seems, though, like it's not as in full force as it once was. But Uh I mean, that's not stopping a lot of people from chomping at the bit to get out there with their pop ups in small places. Yeah, I also found it interesting that alcohol free beverages are are just really booming. Los Angeles got its first cocktail lounge that serves no cocktails. It's all mocktails and pretty much everywhere I go doesn't matter if it's a sports bar even it will have a section of non-alcoholic cocktails and beers where before I think your only option was like you could have a soda water or a juice or maybe if you were lucky in our in our duels <laughs> and that was it <laughs> yeah. so yeah yeah gone are the days of me going to a comedy club and them saying it's a two drink minimum and me having to be like hey can I have a seltzer now they're just going to give me the $15 non-alcoholic mojito so Oh, that's a good point. Maybe that yeah. is maybe that's like a good margin for it because I have noticed the drinks are pretty expensive, uh-huh. even if the only ingredient, even if there's a cocktail and a mocktail and the only difference is that one has alcohol and the other one doesn't. 
The one that does yeah. it is still pretty expensive. So maybe that's like a it really is. good margin for the restaurant. Yeah, it is. I, I really notice whenever I go to a cocktail bar, like a, a nice only $3 difference between the cocktail uh-huh. and the mocktail. And ooh, yeah, but I mean, that makes a lot of sense. When you look at um, a lot of wholesale stores and a lot of grocery stores now are carrying the non-alcoholic bottles uh-huh. in their stores. And those, yeah, they're expensive. Like we're talking sometimes True. like upwards of $20, $30 for a bottle of non-alcoholic tequila. So yeah, fascinating how that's transforming the restaurant industry too. Yeah, I'm always saying, you know, before the pandemic, this place used to have blank <laughs> and now it's got $20 burgers and no more dollar oysters. Yeah, that's a great like going out Mad Lib situation right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll do it for us today. Thanks everybody for tuning in to the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Ezra Trupiano, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey, everybody, I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne Elliott as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts.